Welcome, everybody. Sorry for the delay here. We had an unexpected event early on yet again. So, but no jackhammers behind us tonight. So, welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, having me on. I'm glad you agreed to be on. So, for episode nine, you guys, we've got the one and only Dave Wagner here, aka I like to call Tony Starks uh, or Wags, you know, whatever the day brings. Uh, Let's jump right into this. I mean, we've got all these people here, I guess, been waiting for a little while. So, you know, let's, uh, let's see what we got going here today. We've got Larry already jumping on here. Greetings, Larry. Larry out here from LaGrange, Missouri. Hopefully we're going to get to meet Larry one day. I hear he comes up to the lounge every once in a while. Do you know Larry Adams? Uh, might know the face, don't know yeah. the name. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, let's tell these folks a little bit about the good old wags. <laughs> where do we start? Um, I mean, I don't even know where to start. You do so much interesting stuff. I don't even know where to start with this one. So I guess let's start off with a little bit about background well, before we tell them what you do, because that's just going to spur all kinds of conversation here. Background, you were born and raised, I think, upstate New York. Upstate New York, yes. Yes, left New York when I was, uh, I went to school at University of Pittsburgh. Um, Moved back to New York for a short stint, met my wife. Um, You guys just had a big anniversary too, didn't you? 30 years, yeah. Yeah, congrats, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, after having two kids relatively, uh, quickly moved to move back to Pittsburgh, was in Pittsburgh for about three and a half years, uh, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, for 18 months and then came to Frisco, uh, to early 2001, April of 2001 and have been here ever since. Okay. You're just a little bit behind me. I moved here in 96, so. Yeah. Right, right behind me. So, what did you uh, study at Pitt? What did you get your degree in? Business administration. Business administration. My parents would probably say I got my degree in monkey business. Monkey business, yeah. huh? Yeah. Not I the mean, best. Kinda, not kinda, the best student, but yeah. uh, you know, yeah. We'll leave that. Leave that. There. Leave, leave that one there. All right. I mean, it's always amazing to me, like what people get their degree in, and then what you actually see that they do for a living. You know, sometimes that goes hand in hand. Sometimes it's left field and right field. Yes. I mean, last week, uh, one of my buddies that I had on, I had no idea, like degree in journalism, basically. And he's been in the multifamily industry for years. And I was just like, wow, I would have never, ever have imagined that, that that's where he actually started going down that path. Huh. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess we'll start off. Uh, what's the best way to say what you do for a living? Importing? I'm an importer. Importing. I'm an importer. I wasn't always an importer. I actually started um, 28 years in insurance. Um, what type of insurance? Sales. Uh, okay. Mainly property casualty. Started my insurance career in upstate New York, working for a state farm agent, doing auto and home and life. And... Um, Stayed in the insurance industry, I think, when I got out. The last thing I was doing was I was actually working for um, the State Insurance Association of uh, Independent Agents in Texas, out of Austin. Okay. And um, 
during that time, I was building a business part-time as a private investigator, which I started doing that in 2004 for a retired FBI agent uh, here in Plano. And um, after three years working for him, I basically went to him and said, hey, do you want to sell your business? And he was like, nope. I was like, okay. Uh, so I continued doing it part-time until 2017. Uh, and that's when I decided to make a break and leave the comfort of a steady paycheck and benefits in the insurance industry. And I have not looked back. I can relate to that because I started off with property and casualty and all that in the beginning as well. Uh, I actually started out in the mail room when I came back from the Navy and uh, my mom worked at the insurance company and got me in with the insurance company. And the first big desk job I took uh, started out with auto and BI and then I jumped into a guy retired and I jumped into the property casualty side. That was kind of my transition into construction. So. Very familiar. I have a lot of family in the insurance industry. So When I moved to uh, Pittsburgh, little known fact, not a whole lot of people know this. I mean, people who know me obviously know it, but for the vast majority of people tuning in tonight, probably have no idea who I am. Um, I actually was the largest writer of property and casualty for volunteer fire departments in the U.S. I insured over 215 fire departments, their buildings, their trucks, and things like that. Allegheny County, Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh is located, actually is the uh, the home of the fire service, or actually Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is the home of the fire service, but uh, there's more volunteer fire departments in Allegheny County than any other county in the United States. Wow, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say I got boring doing that, but uh, it required a lot of evening appointments, so during the day... Uh, I insured the things that I enjoyed, which was fine dining, white tablecloth restaurants, and cigar lounges, which is how I kind of really got, that's when I got serious about cigars. So this was going back to, I want to say, 96, 97. Yeah. I was insuring uh, um, cigar lounges back then, way back when, Um, which was a lot of fun because it's, what do they say? It's never work if you enjoy what you do? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's interesting that that's where your cigar journey started. I yeah. would have never have guessed it was from something like that. Yep. <clears throat> how, do, how do you feel like cigar lounges and stuff like that? Like, so obviously you found a hobby that you enjoyed, and then you turned it into something you could you know, do with your business as well. How did that... How do you feel that like snowballed? Because it, you know, that kind of got you into other things you collect as well. I feel like from, I can I can see that knowing you now, I can see some of this property casualty stuff and inland marine and all that stuff where it introduced you to a lot of the hobbies and things you like to collect yeah. uh, aside from personal passions. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of funny, kind of on that thought. A lot of people ask me, is like, hey, you know. We'll, I'm sure we'll touch on this more yeah. going forward, but ATF, you already do alcohol. You import that. You already are in the firearms business, so when are you going to do tobacco? And I've always drawn the line that cigars are the one thing that will I will never, never say never, but I have zero plans in getting involved with on a day-to-day basis 
as far as cigars go, because that's that's my outlet. And I, I talked a little bit about this. I was in uh, another podcast, and it's kind yeah. of... <clears throat> that is... This is my getaway. You know, when... Yeah. When I leave the office and uh, or I leave my home and I, whether I'm out on my back patio or I'm here having a cigar, and don't want to think about liquor other than drinking it, I don't want to think about importing it or talking. You know, I, I don't really want to talk a whole lot of shop. I don't mind questions, but this is my outlet. Yeah, um, and I, last thing I want to do is spoil that with making it something that uh, that I have to rely on a paycheck to um to enjoy and, well thank uh, you for letting me spoil your evening and coming on here and talking about good. all these things with everybody all good i appreciate it you bet now that's a uh, cigar is very much the same thing for me it became something that i enjoyed on vacations and then it was kind of like okay like it was always it started off in my journey to quit dipping and cigars was a good <clears throat> excuse me outlet to I would always try to quit when I was on vacation where I knew I'd be on an island or somewhere. It'd be really hard to get the dip that I dipped. And then that could just kind of cold turkey it. And if I really felt like I needed some nicotine or something, oh, go enjoy a nice cigar. There you go. And then that transition down the road to, well, I really like smoking cigars. And at first it was like, I can't really enjoy some of these. Cause I mean, obviously when you're traveling, you're exposed to like really good cigars. A lot of times you may be overpaying for them, but you're getting pretty good cigars typically. And then when you come to the U.S., like finding a good cigar lounge like the one we attend at ICC and finding good sticks, you know, that it it makes all the difference in the world because if you can have people that will educate you on it a little bit and share stuff with you, you know, it it brings that journey full front. Excuse me. Um, So let's... How did you get into importing guns then? It's my son's fault if he's watching. It's your son's fault. Or listening. Uh, okay. And he knows this. Uh, <laughs> I was, so just kind of giving you a, a nutshell. Yeah. When I left insurance and started doing private investigation full time, obviously with an insurance background, we were doing work for insurance companies doing fraud investigation. Mm-hmm. Quickly found out that people who commit insurance fraud are typically wanted for other things, whether it's bad checks, whether it's uh, fraud, whatever. I mean, it's not they, they insurance fraud typically uh, isn't the only crime that these people uh, commit. So it's we started part of work- a bigger scheme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we started working with local police departments across the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, Richardson, Addison, all basically wherever we had an insurance claim is these people had warrants out. So yeah. I'm doing a, a stakeout, watching, doing surveillance on someone, you know, trying to catch them in the act of um, if you're on work comp fraud, you can't be out mowing your yard or you're not supposed to be lifting groceries over a certain percentage of. So I would be on a stakeout and Come to find out, we'd do a background check on the person, find out that they had an open warrant, call the local police department, tell them exactly where we were, tell them that we are watching the subject, here's the vehicle, if they came in a vehicle, what they were driving, here's a license plate number, and if you have a car in the vicinity, come pick them up. Well, that led into conversations with the police departments, both professionally and 
you know, you get to be friends with some of these guys yeah. because you're dealing with them, you know, on a weekly basis and the topic of firearms comes up and come to find out there was really only one place, one retailer that was servicing the law enforcement community in the Metroplex. Well, I thought that that sounded like a monopoly to me. So yeah. an opportunity also. So I decided to go ahead and get my FFL in 2000, 2007, I believe it was. 2008. I guess it was 2008. I got my first FFL. Went to uh, a number of companies uh, and really only had an interest at that time in selling to law enforcement because that's who we were dealing with. That was where I was having the most touches. And kept hearing this other retailer had the exclusive. Exclusive, 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 can't give you contract for law enforcement because they have an exclusive for law enforcement. So I was like, okay, well, give me a consumer contract where we can sell to consumers. We ended up contracting with one company for law enforcement. That was Heckler & Koch. And um, we absolutely killed it with them. Everyone else, the exclusive, obviously, wasn't representing them. So we would go into a bid situation, <clears throat> and uh, we would come up with H&K products. And uh, we did really good business with them. And it wasn't too long. My son decided to uh, do some um, studying at Humboldt University in uh, Berlin, Germany. And my wife and I went over to visit with him. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the first time I'd really been to Germany with a last name like Wagner. Obviously, I'm of 100% German on both sides of my, my mom and my dad. Um, so I had a desire to come back to Germany quite frequently. So I got back to the U.S., called uh, my SIG rep in the U.S. and said, hey, how do I do business with Germany? And they were like, mm, you can't. The German export laws for firearms are not favorable. We're not really doing a whole lot of business with them at the time because it is so difficult. But our sister company in Switzerland uh, is looking for a importer, and why don't you give them a call? So we called them a couple of months later because they were closed for the summer break and struck up a conversation. This was 2014, and... Uh, it's been off to the races ever since. We um, have been the exclusive importer for SIG Switzerland. When we were doing business with them, they weren't doing business under the SIG name. They were doing business as SAN, that's S-A-N, Swiss Arms. SAN okay. standing for Swiss Arms Neuhausen, which is the city that they were located in just outside of Schaffhausen. Northern, it's on the German-Swiss uh, border. Okay. And uh, we actually just re-upped our three-year exclusive with them uh, when I was there three weeks ago. Awesome. So we'll continue. Congrats. Thank you. It's been a great um, relationship for both of us, and um, we're going to continue doing what we do with them for the next, at least the next three years. So you guys continue to listen to this. Like, you're going to hear all these little key things here, like, this man has found ways to turn hobbies and passions and things he likes to collect into not only businesses, but opportunities that open doors for other opportunities, as well as relationships that he's been able to make as well. I mean, I 
would be hard pressed to find someone more traveled than you. I think <laughs> like we had to plan this out a little ways. Cause I mean, Wags is always on the go and getting you here for more than like three or four days this time of year, especially is pretty good challenge. I mean, this guy's out chasing F1 cars around and Scots and guns and you know, yeah. hard, hard man to keep track of. Hard guy to do research on, too, by the way. I'm glad I – I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. I was like, man, out of all the guests I've had, you know, it's been pretty easy. I can go do a little bit of internet research and get get some good stories or something here and there. Not on WAGS, you guys. That, that, that private investigator background, he's got all that stuff on lock. Yeah. It, that's by design. <laughs> 100% by design, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you. Sure. Maybe you can help clean up all my stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so – Guns from a relationship off private investigating and working with the police department, law enforcement. How did you get into, you also have, uh, I'm going to, is it Ventanove is your other importing where you import your spirits? Correct. So. Did I say that right? You absolutely did. Okay. Um, You know, ever since we started importing firearms, as you alluded to, um, I travel quite a bit internationally. I go to, I have relationships with firearms companies where we act as the exclusive in Germany, uh, two in Switzerland, one in France, and we're always obviously looking for more opportunities. Um, but my wife during that time said, you really need to find another business that I can be involved with and I can travel. So why don't you get into the purse, diamonds, jewelry, anything? And I was like, um, <laughs> no. that Blood that, diamonds don't sound real interesting that, here. None of that really strikes my fancy. Yeah. So during the time that I am going to Switzerland and France, and obviously, as you alluded to a little earlier, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a collector. Um, I collect everything from Scotty Cameron putters to um, Scott Moore, mainly scotch. Uh, I'm a big scotch collector. Yeah. And every time I was in Europe, I'm always looking for bottles that you cannot get here in the U.S. They were never right. meant for the U.S. market. They were never exported to the U.S. Or they are so old that if it was imported to the U.S., it's been consumed. It's long gone. Or it's sitting in somebody's locker like it's not being drank. Correct. So I started amassing quite a collection that I couldn't bring it all back at one time. So I said to my wife, well, hey, why don't we, um, why don't we start a liquor import business? And at the time, I'm thinking scotch. And at, around that same time that we started talking about this, a friend of mine, uh, his son was going to college with his college roommate was from Switzerland of all places, small world. And his father had a vineyard and part-time makes wine. The one thing that if you don't know about Swiss wine, they only export as a country 3% of their total production. That's not wow. 3% to the U.S. That's 3% total export. So that's why a lot of people in the United States have never heard or they're not familiar with Swiss wine. They just don't export it in any great numbers. So my wife is like, 
she was with me on this particular trip. We went and met with the family. We had some of their wine, and it was absolutely fantastic, which, okay, let's start. Let's make this a business. So, More red wines, white wines? Red. red. Red, okay. Yeah. So we started thinking about business names. My favorite number has always been the number 29. Well, 29 imports doesn't sound real sexy. Yeah. And with a heavy European influence, I wanted something kind of European. So we started looking at different translations for the number 29. Well, 29 is Italian for, for 29 is Ventanove. That's the, that's the Italian number for 29. I was like, Ventanove imports. I was like, I kind of like the way it sounds. So it started out that particular business with importing scotch, um, a very small quantity of Swiss wine, which we still import a little bit. And uh, that's where it's kind of stayed until this year. And this last trip when I was in Switzerland, we were actually, uh, I signed a deal to start importing a high-end gin, which is going through the approval process. It's never been imported to the U.S. before. And it's, um, I think it's, a very, very special gin, unlike no gin I've ever tasted before. I like the um, sound of that because gin is something hard for me to drink, uh, the juniper-heavy gins anyways, but I've learned much like I've learned with scotch <clears throat> and a few other spirits that spirits can vary so much, and yet they're so, so similar. And a lot of them are even distilled very similarly. There's not a whole lot of differences. It's it's minutia yeah. in between spirits a lot of times. Um, but yeah, juniper it, overload gets me every time. But very, I found a few yeah. gins like there's a one of my buddies in one of the bourbon clubs I'm I'm a member of. Uh, he introduced me to a Japanese gin, mm-hmm. and it's it tastes like strawberries. I mean it's. It's unreal. It makes a great little cocktail if you're making mixed drinks. Um, so it's funny how your palate evolves and changes. You know, I used to be, we're, we're going to dive into some scotches here in a little bit. Dave brought a couple. Ironically, I bought one that uh, is just one that I happen to like that I was introduced to. And lo and behold, it's one I think Dave imported himself here uh, that, that made its round and ended up through a club to a bottle to me. So I thought that was pretty cool. But, you know, scotch, I had to learn. I didn't know what it was. I didn't like about scotch for a long time. I think I've told you the story, and I've probably told the story on here before, about why scotch was run for me with my, my father because he was a big scotch drinker. Um, but I had to learn it was the non I, – I don't like a lot of peat. But that's starting to change as much as I hate to admit that, like – I'm finding a respect for a certain time where peated scotch does play a role. I still can't do the Japanese ones. Those taste too like... You haven't had the right Japanese one. I probably haven't. <laughs> I mean, knowing you, I'm sure you you could be like, here, try this. And I'd be like, that's the best thing I've ever had in my life. I, 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 I could change your mind. Yeah, e- easily. I mean, Alex Baptista did that to me as well and gave me like Octomore. Mm-hmm. Octomore, is that yep. correct? Yep. Uh, which is super, super peated, or maybe even add another super. I can't remember, but it was a lot of super peated. Um, the only problem with that was at the time, even when I still dipped, you take one drink of that. It has to be your last drink of the night, and you're still going to brush your teeth that night, the next morning, and you will still taste like you stuck your head 
in a smoker and just inhaled and just took all that in because it just it coats your palate like nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. This gin is not heavy juniper. It's more, uh, I would say it's more fruit forward than botanicals. So there's yeah. a natural flavoring of mandarin orange. There's uh, lemon zest. It, 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 normally in the summer, you know, I, I'm a creature of habit and I tend to drink in the summer because it's so hot in Texas. Um, I drink a lot of mojitos. One okay. of my favorite drinks is actually a coconut mojito. I love coconut mojitos. Okay. And this I don't last, know if I've ever had a coconut yeah, mojito. Yeah, this last time, like I said, three weeks ago when I was in Switzerland, I had this um, I had this gin, and it was the most refreshing thing, alcoholic beverage that I had had in, in, that I can remember. And I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, what is this? What's the cocktail you prefer to make when you're drinking gin? Or do you drink it straight? How do you prefer gin? I am equal opportunity. Okay. So the way that I had this, it was um, it was in a, basically, th- you know, it, here in Texas, we have what they call a fishbowl margarita. Right. It's a big goblet, chuck full of ice, really cold, really good margarita, yeah. if you can make it right. Think of that type of glass. Okay. Same amount of ice, just a lot of ice, with gin, with a flavored seltzer water. Okay. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like flavored lemon, lime, what was the combo? It, it, I don't, I never got a chance to see okay. the, what the flavor of it was, but I knew it wasn't a regular seltzer. It was definitely flavored. Okay. I couldn't tell. Because it could have been passion fruit or anything. It, was, it wasn't that, but it was. It, if I had to guess, I would say it was probably something along the lines of like a, a like a lime or a lemon or a something lime. along those lines, which heightened the uh, the floral or not the florals, but the the fruit mm-hmm. of the gin. It was absolutely amazing, and I, I I was I sat back and I had I had a lot of it, and <laughs> you I, were celebrating your birthday I, too. I, I, I was. mean, you. you had every right to go I all was. out. Uh, actually, I wasn't celebrating my birthday. My birthday was, was celebrated. Right when you got back. Uh, yeah, we had, we had my wife and I had. You had talked a little bit earlier about Formula One. Mm-hmm. I actually went to Belgium and uh, went to Spa for Formula One for my birthday. This was in celebration of signing our three-year extension. extension on our uh, agreement with Sig. So okay, that was reason to celebrate um, that night. Uh, but I said basically to the guy who, who had given it to me, I said, you got to tell me more about this. And we got talking about it. He's the exclusive importer in, the, in that country and just got talking to him. And he's like, hey, um, let's, uh, I was like, this, this, could, this, could, be, this could be big, in, in my yeah. opinion. I was like, I think I got a pretty good palate. Um, I think this has got a lot of potential. And he was like, if you want to go in and be partners with it, let, let's do it. So stay tuned. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I have a good friend that's a distiller up in Indiana that he does that kind of stuff to me is he, what drew me to them at first, like, you know, with my bourbon collection, when I got into bourbon is I didn't chase the allocated stuff. I wanted to find somebody doing craft. Yeah. And I wanted to find something that was unique, completely off left field, but really good that people just weren't trying. People were walking past when they walked down the aisle. And, you know, lo and behold, I found my friend Alan Bishop 
and we've struck up a friendship and he sends me stuff periodically that, you know, or I get, I'll go up and see him and I get to try stuff. And I mean, it's always a guessing game with Alan of what you're going to get. I mean, he's got me where I've drank. I have had absinthe, which I never thought I would drink. I've had, you know, gins that I've talked about, brandies, um, just kind of all over the place and just getting to try these new spirits, which I, I find fascinating. I really like trying new things. So what's uh, what's something down the cigar world? Like, what, what's your go-to? What's, what's your go-to as far as cigars? Because I know you, you collect cigars a little bit, but it's also your just relaxing. What's your relaxation? What's your, like, to go-to for everybody? Because there's a lot of cigar smokers on here. Uh, I When I say Patoro, um, that's... That's the company. Um, I don't know how many people on here would be familiar with Patoro, but if you're not familiar with them, it's a, it's a gr- fantastic, great, great story. I'll give you the quick, quick, quick uh, overview. And that's what we're smoking tonight for you guys, by the way. I, it's no different than any other night for me. Yeah. Um, it, well, I'll put it this way. I'd smoke one of three cigars. It's either a Patoro, a Davidoff, or a Bihike. And um, But going back to Patoro real quick, the, the story with Patoro is... The brand, one of the, the international brand manager, anytime Davidoff would go in and buy a, uh, a new company, they sent um, a guy out there to kind of say, hey, this is, the, this is the way we look for you to do things now that you're under the Davidoff umbrella. And um, did that very successfully and basically went to the powers to be at Davidoff and said, I've made you guys a ton of money love what I do, but I would like to have some type of ownership in the company. And they were like, um, no. So he was like, okay, well, I'm going to go start my own company, which he did. Started Patoro 20 years ago. Uh, And so that's one tie in with Davidoff. And about 10 years after he had been in the business, Dr. Schneider, who actually purchased Davidoff from Zeno Davidoff, Back, I don't know what the year was. Uh, Should have looked this up beforehand. His grandson um, was not in the cigar business at the time, but wanted to get into the cigar business and basically went and bought into Patoro. So it is a heavy influence of Davidoff, um, but it's not Davidoff. It's, uh, it's, It's Patoro. Yeah, and personally, that's my that's my it's just a good my go to cigar. I mean, I like I like I smoke the Terra Blanches a lot. Uh, it's, that's I love that cigar. That's it's a, a great cigar. cigar. Um, I, I hadn't smoked this particular one. I smoked the shorter version of this. Platinos are good. I, I like the vintage, uh, of course, because I travel to Europe quite a bit, specifically Switzerland. I buy a lot of cigars at their uh, lounge, which are exclusive to. Um, Switzerland, the Swiss market. So a lot of the things that I bring back, um, you can't get here in the U S yeah. Um, it goes back to, I like, I like smoking and owning things that not everybody else has. It's kind of my, one of my joy, small yeah, joys in life. It definitely is. I mean, cause you, like you said, you collect a lot of things. I mean, I think we've touched on a few of them. You also like, you're also, from what I know, big into Les Paul's. 
correct? Which I could tell you some sick stories that make you really sick about Les Pauls I've owned and sold over the years. I own one guitar nowadays, and it's a little acoustic that I maybe take out one time a year. I sold one that I would like to get back, and I promised myself after having seller's remorse, I will never sell another one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I My first guitar that I saved up for and got was the Joe Perry limited edition Les Paul. <sighs> When I was about 12 or 13 years old, sold it for a dirt bike. Uh, Saw it at a guitar center about 10 years ago, probably. Someone had brought one in, and it was up on their, like, antique wall, you know? I think that guitar was somewhere around $20,000. I was like, this is insane, like... It's like people who, uh, you know, once upon a time had, you know, one of the early edition Slash guitars... And yeah. ended up probably selling it, and they've had buyer's remorse ever since. Or yeah. seller's remorse, excuse me, ever since. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's another thing. I'm also big into pens. I have a little bit of a pen uh, problem that there's no way I can write with as many pens as I own, but I appreciate the craftsmanship. Uh, when my son graduated from college, I said, hey, you know, where do you want to go? He's always wanted to go to Japan, so he and I went to Japan. And I didn't realize at the time, I thought I was a pen collector until you go to Japan and you see some of these pens that are um, uh, just absolute works of art. Absolutely beautiful. And um, that really just... Do you favor your pens or watches? Because I know you're a big watch guy too. Oh, man. If you had to give up one, which one would you give pens. up? The watches or the pens? I, I should give up the watches because it's the more expensive of them. Yeah, for but, sure. But um, it, w- it would probably be the pens. Pens. All right. Because I know I've, even before I knew you, I knew of you from listening to a couple friends that are big watch guys that know you from watch circles. And that's all I heard about for watches. I, I've got about six, seven watches. Uh, and I, I'm fascinated with them, like the way they're crafted and how they work. Like that's always been something I thought was very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the craftsmanship, yeah. which is what we look for when we're looking for partners with firearms. Um, you know, our, we're, I mean, uh, you asked me what it is I do. I'm an importer. Am, yeah. I, am I a gun dealer? No, I sure if you want to classify me as that, but I don't consider myself per se a gun dealer. Not really, because you're the guy that brings the guns that, Go to the dealers. That, but the when I think of a gun dealer, I'm thinking the average gun dealer probably sells, you know, Smith and Wesson, Glock, uh, yeah. which there's nothing wrong with those brands, but that's not who we are. Yeah, we are bringing firearms into the U.S. that um, are of a different class. There's a degree, a very high technical degree of craftsmanship that goes into them, whether it's Sig or whether it's uh, PGM Precision in France, uh, whether it's the uh, Waffenberg in Germany. I mean, these guys are they're, they're craftsmen. They they hand tool hand. They're it's hand fit. It's it's a it's something that's being lost in today's society. Not just with firearms, but across almost anything I can think of. Whether it's yeah. a, a watch, a gun, a car. It's all about um, speed and how fast yeah. you can put something out. How many can how many can we pump out? So yeah. not our model. Kind of goes with your cars too, I think. A little bit. So what got what what got you into F one? 
because I'm intrigued to hear this because I've recently, well, you guys up here have gotten me addicted to F1 now. I've had to watch the entire series on Netflix, which drives my dog absolutely bonkers, and my wife. Like, I have to go watch it in the theater room and, you know, watch All the way back own. to high school. So, um, I graduated in 1988. A friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends in high school. We're almost 10 years exactly apart. Yeah, his dad was a uh, the local um, doctor, uh, was the doctor at our, at, our, at our high school. He was a, a big car guy and had a uh, 1986 roof slant nose factory turbo. And uh, he, was, he was a big car guy. I mean, ended up selling that car to Barry Wilburn, who at the time was playing for the Washington Redskins, um, and bought a Ferrari, a Ferrari Mondial back in the day. It was a cool car. I think it was featured in one of the uh, big video games uh, that you actually would go into the video arcade and yeah. sit down and drive this thing. And um, he really kind of, you know, it was one of those things that uh, – you show up at his house on a Sunday and his family's watching Formula One and I got introduced to Michael Schumacher, the GOAT. Yeah. And once you experience that, um, you know, I'm glad that I got to see him racing uh, back back, back then. I mean, it was just yeah. something to see and something to behold. I mean, I watched Verstappen now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, and just the different drivers at that time. And it was just, you know, now we have, you know, the Netflix series and it's really caught on here in the U.S., which is why, you know, my wife said, what do you want to do for your birthday? I was like, I want to go to a Formula One race. She's like, well, great, let's go to Austin. I was kind of like, no, I, I don't want my first F1 experience to be in the U.S. I want it to be where it's supposed to be. the exact same way. Uh, let, let's go to Europe. I, of course, I said Monaco and my wife's like, well, I really would love to go to Monaco. So I'm like, of course, I picked the most expensive place possibly on the face of the earth to go watch an F1 race. So I'm going to have to work on that one for a little yeah. while. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's what got me into F1. And, um, you know, uh, the rest is history, so to speak. Uh, this this year was my first race that I saw, but won't be my last for sure. So what, what got – so is this early childhood first Ferrari thing what got you into Ferraris or uh, what, what – No – I mean, at the time, maybe subconsciously it did, but I think that, uh, that, that uh, you know, I'm growing up in upstate New York. There wasn't a lot of high-end vehicles in right. the area. I mean, I think we had one dealer in town, and he didn't sell new exotic cars. He sold pre-owned uh, Lamb- Lamborghinis, Ferraris, uh-huh. Porsches. But the first time I'd ever got the experience of riding in one was, like I said, my, my buddy, his, his dad had this yeah, just really awesome. Uh, what was the name of that game? California something. I know what game you're talking yeah. about, too. It's awesome. You're on, you're on to something. We'll, yeah. we'll think about it maybe by the time this ends. Yeah. But it started with, with that Porsche. And, you know, I, I had always wanted a Porsche, thought about it, and, you know, with two kids, you know, never – the opportunity never presented itself. Both my kids um, obviously both went to college. So it wasn't until I was an empty nester and um, had the means to be able to, to buy my first, what I'll call, sports car. Uh, real sports car. I, mean, I had a Nissan 350Z 
Yeah. Um, which was a fun car. Um, yeah. But not a Ferrari though. Not or a Ferrari, Porsche. not a Porsche. Uh, so my first sports car was actually a, a Porsche GT3. And it was a fantastic car. Love that car. Um, some days I, I have remorse of selling it, but, um, you know, living in Dallas, there's a lot of opportunities to yeah. buy um, these types of cars. So it was, you know, I moved from one brand to another. Um, I gave that thumbs up because I absolutely fell in love. I didn't even know him yet. I used to go outside and just sit and stare at his car for like two, three hours. I did the same thing. Like, I would walk out there and I'd be like, The white one? Oh, my God. You know, man. This is amazing. And then have you seen the one he posted on his Facebook page while the the black Ferrari? I'm still on the... It looks like the damn Batmobile, man, but it's a Ferrari. Yeah, Ferrari GT3 race car. Oh, my goodness. That was a concept. You should see the actual production car. Oh, my. I saw it the other day. Um, it was around, going around the Nurburgring ring, and I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, man. Um, never thought about racing cars until I saw that car, and I was kind of like, oh, my gosh. That's they're they're absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's unreal. Like, I picked Team Ferrari just because all the guys were like, who's your team? Who's your team? When I started showing up here and going to these different F1 events up here, and actually when I started watching, I started on the most recent season at the time earlier this year, more to learn about the teams, and they're like, don't get yourself confused. Start here and then go back and watch the others. It'll make more sense. You'll get confused with what drivers swap and all that. So I did, and, like, the first few I watched was like, it's like, all right, the Ferrari guys are really cool. Like, these guys aren't, like, pompous, arrogant assholes. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. But at least the way they were portrayed on the show, I was like, I kind of like these dudes. Like, all right, I'll, I'll root for Team Ferrari. And then it was funny, every time I'd come in here, if Begley was here and Begley walked out of the room, Ferrari would inevitably find a way to mess up a race. And it started becoming a running joke between me and Bagley. And I was like, you can't leave the room until the race is over. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not allowed to go anywhere. So, They've yeah. been on such a dry spell uh, for many, many years that it's nice to see them back in contention this year. Uh, so, yeah, and we're looking forward to good things next year. Um, What's your favorite Ferrari of all time? Oh. Or which one would you most want to have if you could, like, just pick one? La Ferrari Aperta. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up because I don't know what that is off the top of my head. Yeah. It's, um, it's a beautiful car. I'll bet it is. I mean, because everything I see you post, I'm always like, man. Because I thought about it. I was like, even, even guns, like, when I looked at your page and stuff like that, I've always wanted an H&K handgun. I was like, I've said for a while, when I buy another one and actually need to buy another one, that's what I was going to buy. And then I meet you and Adrian, and, like, there's ten things I could think of that I want, and now I'm just like, eh, well, one day. We'll, we'll go down that road a little further. Yeah. It's kind of funny, speaking of Ferrari, uh, we had talked a little bit earlier, you know, I went to the, yeah. I went to the, spa, I went to the race in Spa in Belgium. Yeah. And... Um, I was like, well, I'm already this far, so I might as well go to the... We, we had planned on going to um, the Ferrari factory, which was an awesome experience. It would have been a lot more awesome if I could have taken photos. Oh, they won't let you take photos? No. They make you put a piece of tape over your phone camera, and they check it before you do the tour, and they check it again 
when you leave to make sure that the seal that they put over your camera is not broke. But as I'm walking down the, uh, there's a road where you go to, you go visit the, um, the engine factory and then you go into production where the, where the cars are being assembled. And okay. right before we walked into the assembly plant, the, uh, and the, there's a brand new Daytona SP3 rolling down the street. And I've never been so enamored with a vehicle, not a color. Like if you, if describing it over here and without showing you a picture of it, you're going to be like, Oh my God, that thing sounds absolutely hideous. Like why would anyone, it was, it was green and it was clearly for the Asian market. Right. Because those, those colors, typically that's where they go. And, I right. knew it was going to Asia because they get their cars before they come to the U.S. Okay. The U.S. is one of the last countries that Italy sends their cars to, whether it's Alfa, whether it's Ferrari, whether it doesn't really matter who the manufacturer is. It's just the U.S. is one of the last markets um, okay. that, that get cars. So I knew this car was probably going to Asia. And it was such a beautiful car. And I really, really was like... I want to take a photo of that. But of course the, the guide who was giving us the tour was standing right alongside me and he's just looking at me and he was, I think he knew what was going through my mind, but he, and I knew he was going to say, don't even think about it. So I, you know, <laughs> I didn't, but it was kind of like this absolutely is, is torture when there is something like that, that I wonder you, why they don't want photos out there of them that don't know. I mean, it's more marketing, so, I mean, like, why wouldn't you want yeah. the publicity? I mean, I can understand. But the new SUV parts. was doing laps around, you know, and that was, I mean, they, they were announcing it. We were there on a Monday where that car they announced to the general public on, on Wednesday. But you still couldn't take any photos. And even on Monday of the week it's being launched, as it's driving around the complex, it's still wrapped. So, like, you couldn't get a clear picture picture of, like what the finished product was, it, you know, it was all wrapped in like a, I'm not going to say a brown paper bag, but you know, it was all black yeah. and it had all these white markings on it to kind of throw you off. So you couldn't really tell what the lines of the car were. And it's kind of like, are you kidding me? You're, you're announcing to the car to the general public on, on Wednesday and I can't get a sneak peek on Monday. Yeah. But it's kind of like, okay, trade craft. I get all it. right. Which one did you try now? Cause I'm gonna... uh, the Benrina is a uh, 22 year old, which um, is that right there. I hope you enjoy it. You have the, uh, you have your club pick Benrinas. I think this is what a 10 year. Uh, uh, I, I would be guessing. Uh, no, it's, it's a 21. No, it's an 11 year. Yeah. It's close. That's a 22 year. All right. So, so cheers. Double. Thank you. you Appreciate this. Absolutely. It's got a great nose on it. Doesn't even smell like scotch. Oh, so good. So good. Oh, yeah. So this is why I can't hang out with you. <laughs> well, you if can't. I hang out with Dave, I'm going to get in all these other hobbies. My wife definitely thinks I do not need any more hobbies. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. What, uh, so you've traveled a ton. What, what, how do you think get the opportunities you've had traveling have influenced you or maybe 
changed your trajectory in certain career paths or whatever, or maybe like lessons you've learned type situations that if you hadn't traveled or maybe there was an experience traveling that like, aside from like meeting certain people that, like, you know, started some of your business that you've already told, is there any other stories or things like that that come to mind from that, from your traveling experiences? Because I, I found that I, I didn't travel at all growing up, hardly, except in the United States. My in-laws actually made fun of me when my wife and I got married because I had to go get a passport. And they couldn't believe I didn't have a passport because you know, when I've gone to Canada or Mexico, you didn't need a passport. But that's something they made fun of me about, you know, and gave me a hard time about. But once I've gotten to travel and been more fortunate to get to see some places in Europe and South America and stuff like that, some of those trips have like drastically changed my perspective on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, the lesson in like anyone who knows me knows that I, I've never met a stranger and I think that that's just a good habit yeah. to get into. It may take a lot of people out of their comfort zone you know, I, I alluded to, you know, when I come in here, I, I, I want to relax. I don't really always want to talk shop. So there are there. But when I am traveling for internationally, whether it's for business or pleasure, you know, I like hearing people's story. Yeah. I, I want to listen to how it, how it is that kind of like what we're doing. Like, yeah, how did how did how did you get into what it is that you do, whether yeah. Whether you are a a teacher at a college, why did you pick the college, and why 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 teach um, to a business owner who may be very successful? It's kind of like okay, well, how did is this a family owned business? You know, what, how did you what's make the story? That how how did how did this happen? Yeah, and I think that in Europe and across the world, a lot of foreigners look at. Americans as loud, obnoxious, um, and just, you know, um, I don't want to say all about them, but we tend to really think that a lot about ourselves. Right. When you're going to countries like Switzerland, when you're going to countries like France, they, uh, they don't necessarily want that type of personality you know it's kind of like they don't really they don't really care about that yeah they want to know you for who who you you are are. yeah what do you do you know i've told this story a couple of times i don't know if i've ever i've ever said it to you but you know i was in switzerland and uh, one of the guys, he's in actually in the Guinness Book of World Records. He kind of got me jump-started with my scotch collection. Uh, he's very well-renowned in scotch collecting. And he looked at me one day and he's like, how do you know so many people? He's like, I am I live in Switzerland. I'm from Switzerland. And he was like, the number of people who you know blows my mind. Those are my words. He didn't say it blows my mind because it's yeah. not something a Swiss would typically say. But that's the message. Like, how do you know so many people? And it's kind of like, when I go into an office, I go into a restaurant, I go into a bar, um, you know, I, I, it's not unlike me to start a conversation with someone with an earshot to just say, how are you? you know, yeah. 
you know, if I, if I overhear a conversation and I hear that maybe they're um, not from a particular area, you know, it, it, why, why are you here? You know, yeah. are you here for work? Are you here for pleasure? You know, do you have, do you, have a, you know, why are you here? What's your story? And just hearing the experiences um, of how people got to where they're at um, I never assume that this person is um, the CEO of the company. I mean, they may be very successful, but they could just be an awesome salesperson. Right. <clears throat> Little did I know that the person who I'm speaking with is actually, you know, uh, the owner of the company. I mean, I, th- that's not the reason why I'm talking to him. I'm not talking right. to this You're person to, to get to something him. out of it. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to educate myself with and being more well-rounded, like, there's something about this person. Is there anything that I can apply to my life that I can learn from this person, whether it's in the way that they talk, whether it's the way that they act, maybe their view on certain topics. Um, I think traveling affords you the ability to see and be exposed to different scenarios and different things than we're accustomed to to here in the U.S., especially in Europe, because things Uh, are very more, they're much more liberal than we are here in the U.S. You know, for example, you know, I I keep circling back to Switzerland, and I'm sorry for that, but that's where I travel to the most. So that's what my exposure to is the most. I went there for several, several visits, probably 10 visits. And as I'm walking down the street one day, uh, a friend of mine said that he wanted to stop at the casino. And I was kind of like, I didn't even know that you guys had casinos. And he was like, yeah, we have casinos. I was like, well, they're not, you know, it's not like Vegas where they're marked. And yeah. you know, the, it's, the, it's this big hoopla about, you know, look, it's a casino. I mean, it's the building that I had driven by and walked by several times was a casino. And I didn't even know it. And come to find out that, um, you know, not only do they have casinos, but they're legal everywhere in the country um, along with just about everything else that you can think of yeah. is, is legal, which kind of blew my mind coming from a country that is very set in very particular mindset of having certain laws in certain States of, if you want to gamble, you have to go, it's got to be on a riverboat or yeah. it's got to be in an Indian reservation. Uh, or if you want to, um, you know, partake in marijuana or whatever the case is, you have to go to certain areas where it's legal. Where I'm in a country and hell, everything's legal. Yeah, you can just do it all over the place. Now, granted, it's controlled by the government. They have they have processes set up in place that if you're going to do drugs, they want you to do it in a manner that is as safe as possible for not just you but the people around you. So in Zurich, there's a park right next to the main subway station called Needle Park. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, they had a huge, huge problem of people uh, shooting or using dirty needles, and it killed a bunch of people because it was unsanitary. So the government stepped in and said, look, we're just going to make it legal. But here's the deal. We're going to make it legal in a controlled environment where everything is controlled. It's um, here's clean needles. Here's a place to do it. It's not my thing. I don't do any of that. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that it's it was a different thought process than what it right. is that that we're all used to here in the U.S. 
not saying it's right or wrong. It's just a different way that makes you think differently. And at the end of the day, seeing a different perspective, that's exactly right. Is it, is it the right way? Is it the wrong way? I don't know. It's up for debate amongst a group of people, probably a lot smarter than I am, but it makes you think differently and not locked into the way that you think is always right. Cause maybe it is and maybe it isn't. Yeah. But it's the exposure. You're, and you're getting to see this other perspective and, and you can make your own opinion or form your own opinion on that. Seeing it. I mean, do they have the same crime rates? Do they have all this, all the stuff that the media or whatever tells you here to continue to support whatever ancient law or whatever philosophy there is or theory about X, Y, Z you get to experience that in different ways. Exactly. I mean, that's really cool. I mean, that what you just said is kind of why I started this podcast because I sit and I, I'm one of those people that I want to ask the questions. I want to learn. I want to know, you know, how, how did you jump? I mean, like, I'm going to go back to this in a minute, but, like, you know, how did you jump from this? Like, you know, you jumped from insurance. Did you just find money and start a company? Did you have all this money just saved up? Did you, you know, did you just – use your business degree and your business knowledge and get the right partners. You know, I, that, I do the same thing and I have those conversations and that's kind of where I took that. I was like, I'm having these type of conversations with very interesting individuals all the time, you know, not even just here at ICC, but you know, all the time. I, granted I have a whole lot of them here sharing a cigar, sharing a drink. And I was like, I should just put this out there and if people enjoy and can gain knowledge from it, you know, like I like to read um, from time to time. Like I'm not real consistent with it, but like I don't read for pleasure as much, but I read a book that if I feel like it would impact me, I could learn something from it, then I'll, then I'll read that. And it's same thing with my podcast, you know, like I'll, a podcast I listen to, not my podcast, but you know, that's kind of how I look at podcasts too and stuff like that. I'll watch the video or listen to this if it's like something I feel like, I do. That's like one of the funny things you and I did. I have a friend that does a podcast that you happen to be on. And the first time I met you, I was like, after hearing your voice and overhearing you telling a story to another member, a little bit about your background, I was like, wait a minute, were you on my buddy's podcast? I mean, this might be a really weird question, but I think I've heard your story before. And I've like, listened to this, like, you were on there for like an hour or so with my buddy, I think. And you were like, yeah, that was. I, I, I did that show. I was like, wow, how ironic, you know, and like paths crossing yet again. Small world as big as it is. Yeah. I think that the, the lesson that I, if I were to share anything, and it's difficult, especially with today's younger generation, because what's, you know, everyone's biggest thing is this, this thing right here you mm-hmm. know, called your your cell phone. I mean, yeah. If you were to ask me, instant gratification. If you were to ask me your phone number, I wouldn't be able to tell you. No. Twenty years ago, if you were to ask me your phone number, I'd be able to rattle off without a problem. We become so reliant on our phones, not just for information like phone numbers and addresses, information. but we get all of our news. We get all of our opinions. We get all of these things from the thing that we hold in our hand. And when you look at the screen time every week that comes up, tells you how much you've been on your phone. It's kind of like if you would put your phone down long enough, and this is what I try to tell my kids if I'm talking to someone who's in high school. You know, I was at a stoplight the other day, and a kid rolled up and said, you know, 
he's looking at the car and he's like, what do you do for a living? And I was kind of like, I'm an importer. And he's like, how'd you get into that? And I was kind of like, you know, the light's about to turn. I don't have time to tell you, but if you want to know more, you know, hey, I'm going up to, you know, this place, you know, meet me in the parking lot. You never showed up, but it's kind of like, you right. know, the, the lesson is kind of like the golden rule. Treat everyone like you want to be treated, right? Yep. So instead of sitting there and not having a conversation with the person next to you who um, you don't know anything about, what's the harm in reaching over and just saying, how are you today? Yeah. You know, I did it today. I stopped and got breakfast at, at the gas station. The guy, you know, checking me out. I don't have any, I, I've never seen the guy before in my life. It wasn't a gas station I normally stop at. You know, it was Indian guy working at 7-Eleven. I'm rolling there, grab orange juice. And I said, how are you doing today? He looked at me like I had three heads. He was kind of like, uh, I'm good. How are you? And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm great, man. I hope you, I hope you have a great day today. It's just kind of, the the shock that was on his face, and it's kind of like I didn't really do anything that was abnormal. It's like holding a door open for somebody these days, you know. It's like it's kind of like how when I don't want to say when, but how have we gotten so far disconnected as a community? You know, um, my niece had to do a, a a paper. I remember when she was back in college about you know who's your neighbor. Well, everyone's your neighbor, whether they live next door to you, whether they live on your street, whether they live in your community, whether they live in the same country as you, whether they live on the same planet as you. Everyone yeah. in this world is your neighbor, right? Yeah. To some, to some degree. To some degree. Especially today when you can hold that phone in your hand and you can have a conversation with someone on the other side of the world. Or you can, you know, you can learn a foreign language uh, from, from a teacher who's in France or in Germany or in Japan, whatever the case is. Yeah. Technology is both a blessing and a curse. And I think that if we, when we become so reliant on it, that it takes away our individualism and our humanity that we forget to just be people, be in the moment, yeah. be people that that's, that's a problem. No, I agree a lot. I think a lot of that stems from, you know, the generations coming up today, that's all they've had. That's all that's been put into them is mom and dad are so busy with the world, they sit and let these entertain their kids, and they don't teach them social skills. Yeah. They don't teach them how to do these things. The kids aren't sent outside to play. Yeah. They're told to go to their room and stay inside and do you know whatever, entertain yourself. Don't bother me. Yeah type thing. So I, I, I think that has a huge impact. I mean, you don't see kids just out playing and nope. doing whatever outside. So they don't learn those social interaction skills. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know what the world's going to look like in 10 years or 20 years from now, but I hope that, you know, I've really kind of made it a conscious effort to back off on my own personal social media, you know, we're at a time when you have to have social media for if you're a business owner. Yeah. It's how we, especially, you know, with a lot Sales of mediums, it doesn't cost anything unless you do paid ads. But, um, you know, individually, it's kind of like, you know, it's, I'm just going to take a step back. Not everyone, um, I don't need to post all the time. The people who, I talk to people all the time. It's kind of like, hey, look, we're having this conversation. Yeah. I'll go sit out in the lounge later. And if somebody's got questions or, you know, we talk about travel, we talk about, you know, how's your day? And, you know, gives us a chance to, to be human. 
um, to interact without, without a phone. I'm not texting someone who's sitting next to me, you know, asking them how their day is. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's part of, <laughs> yeah, it's part of being in touch with it's starting um, to become a lost art. <laughs> it, it honestly, it is. Yeah. And it, just communicating and having conversations with people is truly becoming a lost art. Yeah. Or just being able to get outside your bubble and like you were saying, talking to your neighbor next to you that you're having dinner and that person is there and having an intriguing conversation that you're eavesdropping, but I mean, you, people are loud. You, I mean, you can hear conversation and stuff and having the ability to start a conversation that could be life changing. Really? I mean, yeah. how many conversations have you had with somebody randomly that turned into something else completely that you had no idea? I mean, you might've just asked them how their day was. Yep. And sometimes that's all some people need is somebody to ask them how their day was. Yeah. The last three business deals that I've done, uh, two of which were in Switzerland, were 100% from a conversation. Uh, it wasn't done by email. It wasn't, an it wasn't an introduction. It was I was in a place and struck up a conversation um, about whatever the product was, you know, they get talking, you know, I was at a, at a hotel I was staying at. Um, somebody caught wind that I was there within the country and they're in the firearms industry and wanted to, to meet with me and talk about maybe a possible opportunity. It didn't pan out, but it's kind of like at the same time, it's kind of like we didn't have this conversation over social media. We didn't call each other. The person actually came to the hotel I was staying at. We sat outside, we had a beer, had a cigar. And for the next hour, it was kind of like, look, does this make sense? for what you want to do and what I want to do. At the end of the day, it didn't. But other opportunities kind of stemmed off of that, that, um, you know, we're going to be rolling out some new announcements and product-wise, both in firearms and uh, liquor-wise, that um, stemmed totally from just having a conversation with someone. That one random conversation yeah. of a guy that sought you out. Yeah. But not, um, even, not even necessarily sought me out. It was, well, in this particular case, yes, yeah. but... You know, I told um, Busy uh, when I was doing a podcast with he and uh, Brandon, was that a year? It was over a year ago. It was about a year ago. He is here, folks. I, go I mean, he's being awful quiet tonight. He's no, I, I'm over there. here wrestling with production. Internet has been very spotty in oh, here. okay. So that's, I'm literally well, we're about bobbing and weaving. Stuff on, 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 on voting night, so I mean... I'm yeah. not a little surprised. It is a little ironic that I end up booking you and getting you here to talk on voting night. And, you know, that seems to be Facebook's favorite thing is, you know, we say one word and they don't listen to any context or anything and they like to kick us off. I'm sure YouTube's rolling strong, which is why I encourage any of you that are following and listening to us that like the live and that's really your thing. If the live's your cup of tea, go on and give us a follow over at the YouTube. It's really easy to find now. It's at Common Sense, the podcast. That does not seem to go down hardly at all. So if you got any of you are getting frustrated with that or dealing with that and what Biz, Biz is dealing with back there, try the YouTube out. I mean, everything else goes real smoothly because we upload it after the fact. Very much so. Way kinder about those things and don't I, ha I have a fix, but I don't want to. It'll kick us off for like 12 seconds if I switch it. And I don't want to interrupt your flow, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you're good. I mean, we're. I mean, if you need we'll to hang do in something, there. Do if what you, you hang in do, there, biz. I mean, we got the whole recording. It'll be on there. 
right, our well, faithful followers are still going to be here. They know it's just going to be a quick little refresh. But it was kind of funny that just to finish up this story. So, you know, we're sitting, I'm sitting in this cigar lounge in Geneva, Switzerland, and I'm, I had a friend with me, and we're sitting there talking. This guy walks into the room and very well dressed and very well spoken, and, you know, he's kind of eavesdropping on our conversation. He's like, oh, you guys aren't from around here. And I could tell by his accent that he's not Swiss. Um, one thing leads to another. We have this conversation. He's like, come to find out he's from Beverly Hills and is a member of the Grand Havana Room. Invites us to anytime we're in oh, Beverly wow. Hills, come and visit. This is over just having a cigar. And I'm, what, 5,000 miles away from home. Yeah. And that happened three years ago. And he is today become a very, very good friend who I visit frequently and a very successful businessman. But um, the other thing, just to follow up on that was, you know, I said that we had a, a couple of new things coming up as a result of this trip, most recent trip to Switzerland. We're actually going to be doing some of our imports um, in the firearm side. Uh, we're going to start co-branding with some companies in Switzerland. So it's something new That's for sweet. us that we haven't done before. Um, looking forward to it. And as we have more information to pass along, we'll put it up on our social media. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way to get to a new audience that we probably wouldn't normally get to. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited about that aspect for 2023. Looking yeah. forward to that. So, oh yeah, yeah. Well, so, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a little bit here because we talked about it, but I didn't really ask it. I mean, I kind of did, but I'm gonna ask it even maybe a little more directly. Like, how how do you look at goals? Maybe I'm trying to think of the right way to word this. Or what was your kind of like aha moment? Because it takes a lot to step out of your comfort zone when it comes to what you do for a living. So like. You can kind of get pitched on, you know, you were in insurance for 28 years to give that up and just say, all right, that's, that was obviously a very steady paycheck. You know, I'm sure you did very well, you know, lived within your means, whatnot, and were able to put back some money, whatnot. Maybe that was a lot. Maybe it was a little, maybe it was average. Don't know, you know, but everybody kind of has those points in life and maybe they have a dream. Maybe they have a goal. Maybe they have something they want to explore. What would your advice be? And maybe you can tell a little bit of your own story of like, how, how did you make that transition? Like, did you have to go out and find partners? Did you just, you know, did you bootstrap this on your own and just kind of like do all the hard labor that got you there? I mean, like even, either way you do it, it's hard labor. I mean, I've owned my own business before as well. Don't ever care to do it in that same capacity again, but I wouldn't trade that experience for the world because I learned so much in doing that. That was a family business. Um, so how, how do you look at that or how, how did you look at that when that opportunity came to make the jump and how did you go about making that jump? I'm a worst case scenario guy. Okay. So when I look at a possible new venture, I want to know what's the worst case scenario. And it goes, I mean, it doesn't matter if this was when I first started business or I'm looking at starting a new business. 
you know, I had a conversation uh, Monday, actually it was last, last Monday, with um, a, who, someone we're going to partner with on the, on the gin deal. Yeah. And it's kind of like, look, you know, they're going to handle distribution in the states of um, New York, California, and Florida. And he's telling me, you know, this is what it's going to cost a month. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, okay. I, I, I'm okay with that number. But I'm a worst-case scenario. So is this an exclusive? Like, if we don't sell a thing, am I locked into this monthly fee? And if so, for how long? Because I need to be able to calculate, can I weather the storm? Yeah. You know, it was kind of like the same thing in, to some degree when we, when I left insurance. Luckily, I had the benefit that I had been doing the private investigation in the gun business for seven years. Yeah. So I was collecting on a top of paycheck. It, so you were doing that on the side. But I was also doing the private investigation and firearms. At the same time, I'm, I'm a full-time employee representing an insurance entity. So I had a nest egg to be able to go out and go out on that limb. I'll be honest with you. This is one of the, it was in the top five scariest things I've ever done. Yeah, I imagine so. But after I did it, I have not looked back. And it's, it, was, it becomes easier to evaluate those situations and those opportunities. It does. You know, the first time you step out or you grab, you know, I, I, I equate it to, you know, first time I was a kid, you know, I lived out in the country and I'm climbing a cherry tree. It's kind of like first time I grabbed that limb and I'm trying to pull myself up, I'm thinking to myself, you know, is this branch, is this tree strong enough to be able to support me pulling my weight up? And it was the same thing on this. It, like, Am I, am I sure enough and have I done enough research? Do I have enough of a safety net to feel comfortable with, walk, with taking this leap of faith? You know, I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a worst-case scenario guy, so I'm not going to – if there's a doubt, I want to make sure that I can minimize the doubt as much as possible with anything that's in my control. Yeah. You know, I mean, let's take, for example – you're starting your own business and you started it January of 2020. You've done everything you possibly could to minimize your risks. Well, how in the world would you know or anyone know that two months later or three months later, you would have to be collecting unemployment and would be without a job because of COVID? Yeah. I mean, there are certain things that are just beyond our control. Right. But you take out all the other things that are within You'd your control. Minimize the things that you do have control over. Um, that is my advice as far as being able to, you know, like I said, I mean, did I, I eventually did take on a business partner because I had reached a point after being on my own for three years that I knew the only way to grow was to be able to take on, I had to take on a partner and I didn't need to take on a partner just for the financial. It was when I looked for a business partner, it was someone who wasn't just a resource for money. It was a resource. It was a safety net. I didn't need the money. I really wanted the person's knowledge as far as what they could offer me because the person that I picked to go into business with 
in a totally unrelated field, multifamily, as a matter of fact, had been very, very successful. Wow. Super, super successful. And I was kind of like, this is someone who can teach me business things that translate to whether it's multifamily, whether it's firearms, whether it's liquor. It's just a different set of tools that I had not learned to that point. Um, Because like importing, I mean, like, you just, you, you had never imported anything never imported. at one point. Like, so how did you even, 100% how did you, so you just started reading books? What it, what was the process of learning importing? Because like, that's, I mean, you're dealing with different laws, different countries, everything. Like, that's not something you can just like run out tomorrow and be like, oh, I want to import guns. I'm going to go meet this guy or I know this guy. And you just make that happen overnight. A lot of reading. Yeah. I mean, even as a regular firearms dealer yeah you're given atf when they come out and they give you your license they give you this i don't know 200 page book you know and it pertains to everything having to do with firearms under the sun everything now how much of that pertains to a normal firearms dealer who doesn't import uh firearms who doesn't import ammunition who doesn't deal in class three weapons which are suppressors and fully automatic firearms it doesn't apply at all. There's no reason to read that information. Right. But it's kind of like in reading, th- the resources are there. But until you need it, I didn't have to familiarize myself with it. Right. So when I decided that, you know, when it came back and it's kind of like, okay, this guy from SIG USA said, hey, there's an opportunity in Switzerland. First thing I did is I looked for that book. And I flipped to the page where it talked about importing, several pages actually, and started reading through it. And it's kind of like, okay, this is what I need. Uh, there's a different license that I need. There's new forms that I hadn't filled out before. And if, <coughs> excuse me, it was learn as you go. And it wasn't just in that business. It was the same exact thing with the liquor business. The liquor business, at least I was... I was so unfamiliar with how to import liquor that I was like, you know what? Um, I have the means to be able to hire a company that this is what they do. So I don't have the time to learn it because the majority of my income at that time was coming from firearms, but I have the ability to hire a company that can walk me through and tell me what steps are to be able to import scotch in in this case. Um, and even now it's the same thing that as we look at other items, you know, one of the things that we import, I don't, I I think you probably know this. We import, um, cigar travel humidors Mm -hmm. um, from France. Uh, I had no idea that the, um, the skins, the exotic skins that he makes his cases out of required a fish and game import license because these things are made out of exotic skins, whether it's ostrich or ostrich, alligator, buffalo, alligator, uh, python, all of these different things. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we have all of these goods that are sitting in a warehouse uh, waiting to be delivered, and I don't have the license. Well, you don't know what you don't know, but I learned real quick. It was kind of like, oh, uh, my money's uh, sitting I, here how now. Do I, how do I expedite this? Because I'm having to pay storage. 
on yeah. these goods while they sit in a warehouse. I can't sell them. I cannot recoup any of my money. So tell me where I need to get the license. And, you know, I'm on the phone with these people all the time. It's kind of like, okay, yeah. I sent you the application. I paid electronically. What's the, what's the timeline to getting this license to get my, quote, unquote, my goods out of, quote, unquote, jail? It's kind of like, you know, luckily I only had to wait about two weeks to go through that process. Um, but I will never let that license ever expire again because we continue to import these goods. And it's kind of like, now I, now I, now you know. And the fee, I think the license for the year is 100 bucks. I mean, pretty nominal Yeah. to be able to import these goods that, um, yeah. So it's kind of like, you spend a little bit of money. Um, I now know. You didn't know. I hope my wife's watching and listening to this one Christmas ideas. Like, we've been talking about these travel humidors. I did not know Dave did that, so... Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, get I just wags found out myself. Here, so. I'm going to be uh, talking to you after this is yeah, over yeah, myself. Yeah, see, I-, I learned something new yet again. And it's kind of funny how that relationship started. You know, we talked a little bit earlier. It's a it's a fun, quick story. Um, but I met lunch uh, in France with uh, the the representative co owner of PGM Precision, and he knows that I enjoy cigars. So we're sitting there and having lunch, and this guy walks in, and he's like, oh, my gosh, you need to meet this gentleman. He makes these cigar humidors. And I'm like, great, man, I'd love to meet him. So he gets up from the table, walks over to the table, comes back and said, okay, we're going to his shop after lunch. Great, awesome, can't wait. So I have no idea how far this guy's shop is, no idea what the price point is, but I knew that he sells – Travel humidors, that's all I know. Never seen one, didn't have time to get on the internet to look at it. So come to find out, we finish lunch, go to this guy's office, and come to find out that uh, he makes handcrafted uh, some of the finest um, materials that everyone who's listening would know the company who he works with um, that he basically buys the scraps after they're done with these products that he helps make and he fashions these cigar travel humidors. And I don't know if you can see the color. It might give it away as far as the company who he does business with. This is a very particular color of orange. Yeah. The company starts with H, ends with S. They make uh, purses. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. Yeah, over no. the air, but I had it was again one of those things that it was. I I got into this relationship with this individual by another contact that I had in the firearms industry, and today we do business with these people. We don't have an exclusive with them per se, but um, in writing, we have kind of a verbal agreement. The only other company that imports their goods are Davidoff Boutiques. Okay. Not Davidoff resellers, but actual boutiques. Uh, They're the only other company who imports uh, this gentleman's products. So it's kind of an elite crowd. Yeah. But again, another example of... Right place, uh, right time, meeting somebody and having a conversation. Yeah. All right, I said I was going to go real late, but I'm not going to do this to the guys. 
because uh, I know who's here and is going to be on Cigar Talk Live, and you guys want to jump over and watch that. I'm just telling you, the dude that's going to be on there tonight, really cool guy. Hoping to get him on the show sometime soon. But I'm going to end this with two questions, and we'll try to keep this as brief as possible, and then we'll turn the mics over to the other guys. So you have kids. You have two, daughter and a son. What is one piece of advice, if you could only leave your children with one piece of advice, what would that advice be? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I'd, I, had, I had a conversation with both of my kids uh, when they reached the age of 21. I remember it like it was yesterday. I told both of them when they reached 21, it's like, I've taught you everything that I could possibly teach you that when it comes to life lessons, you know, I, I, I did the best job that I could as a father to teach you to be kind and to be fair. Everything else that you learn going forward is going to be lessons that you learn from mistakes that you make. But if there's one thing that I think that both of my kids know is be genuine and be kind. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's the way we all learn. Agreed. All right. Then there's the one thing we end every show with. And you can go wherever you want with this, Wax. So, I mean, this can literally be anywhere you want to go. Um we ask everybody to give us their two cents. And this could be your two cents about something you just want to say, something going on, whatever. It could just be whatever's on your mind. I mean, we've had people go in every different direction with this. It usually turns into something cool, and I like to think of it as a follow-up for the next time you come and join us on the show. But uh, give us your two cents, and it can be literally about anything. I mean, this show is called Common Sense, and you know we find a lot of people don't have common sense. And that's kind of lacking in this world sometimes today. Um, But there's common sense you can learn from each individual. And that's something we've talked about a lot tonight and just being open and having conversations. So what's two cents you want to throw out there for the show tonight? Mm, um, This has been a, um, this has been a very challenging, I guess is a, it's been a year of strikes and gutter balls. I stole that from a friend of mine, actually. I like that. That's um, cool. It's been the high of highs and the low of lows. There's been some really wonderful things that have happened this year, and there's been some absolute tragedies uh, dealing with health issues from people who are very, very close to me. So mm-hmm. I guess my two cents is no regrets. Live life Live every day or try to live every day like it's your last. Right on. Because you just don't know. Um, honestly, you, you, you really you don't know. The, I've, our family experienced a, a loss of a young man who was very close to our family at, the 20, at, at age 27. Coroner's office, inconclusive cause of death. Yeah. 27. It's terrible. Didn't drink, didn't smoke. Um, was it in the health in the healthcare profession, and it just threw our family for a loop when you just can't wrap your head around it. I guess the lesson is is at 
at 27 years old, you think that you've got a whole entire life ahead of you. So whether you're 27, 57, uh, whatever the case is, uh, seize the day. Live every day like it's your last. That's awesome. I love that. And that's something everybody should strive for. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to put in perspective. They say, you know, a lot of people that get faced with cancer or something crazy, life-altering experience, you know, like they gain that perspective or they're able to do that. So it's, it's a lot harder when you haven't experienced one of those things or you don't have something like that to pull from. But very awesome, man. I want to thank you, man. You like bet. I really appreciate you coming on. I had a great time with you today. You guys, please go out there and give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us a share. You guys enjoy this. We are still taking on uh, looking at sponsorships. If you would like to sponsor a show, a season, we're putting all that stuff out there. You'll see some packages offered up here in the next week or two. I should have that done by the time the Thanksgiving holiday is done. But if you guys are enjoying this, please, again, give us a like, a share. You can find us right now on YouTube, Facebook. Those are the two you guys get to see it live. So if you like seeing it live, go there. You can interact. Give us questions, comment. Biz will take care of you on that end. And if you just like listening to it, I mean, you can listen and watch on Spotify. It's also on Apple Podcasts, usually up within 24, 48 hours after you guys see the live episode. So thanks again for joining us. And until next time, have a great one.